0: Okay, hello everybody. My name is Breck, a.k.a. Steve with Roleplaying Degenerates. I am here with The Hunter. Um, do you go by The Hunter or do you have a...
1: Peter's fine. What was that? Peter's fine.
0: Peter's yeah. fine, okay. Peter, The Hunter. Um, so, how Peter, how did you get started with D&D?
1: Yeah, so I've been playing D&D for 38 years. I got into it when I was 12. My cousin had played it at a neighbor's house and then we went down to the beach and he was talking about this game where you can be a warrior or wizard or elf or whatever and we ended up that weekend buying the red box set, you know the original D&D basic box set in the mid 80s and we played that weekend and then played every chance we could um all through junior high and high school, really. And um then later, he went into the Marine Corps, and then I went on to play in college, and it's been such a big part of my life, and I'm so grateful to all the people I've had an opportunity to meet, all the worlds I've created, the adventures we've had. Really, it's all about the players, and the players bringing it to life. I put yeah. in the pre-work, I get it created, but then, and uh, I'm going to keep rolling dice till the casket drops.
0: Yeah. The the, la- the last question I usually ask is what do you where do you see yourself in five years of D and D but you just answered it within the first the first little interactions you're definitely run, playing.
1: running two or three games a week minimum <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah so um
1: yeah
0: so you talk about the red box and I've heard that, that that a few times is that the very first edition it's it's almost like the no it's, no it's not is that the advanced edition? it wasn't.
1: No, no, that's before, well, before interim, you know, between events. But no, there's actually um, a D&D book that's different than that. That's the blue cover. And my cousin has a copy of that. And believe it or not, that blue book, the last page, there weren't polyhedron dice at that time. This is late 70s, early 80s. No, the, the last sheet of that rule book, it has squares with numbers in it. And you cut those chits out. And you would shake them in a cup and pull the chit out. That's how you rolled, rolled the the random result. Really? You'd pull the yes. That was the original way to randomize Dungeons and Dragons was chits. You you can look up visuals. You know, do Google search of like uh oh. you know blue cover D and D or, you know, original D and D and the chit the page of chits. So one to four they had those squares. You would cut out the one to four. You'd put that in one cup and shake the cup and pull and you'd get a result. They progressed to polyhedron dice, thankfully um and yeah that's that's the story of it and now we have all the online tools you could ever
0: so yeah so let's talk about that since you've played you have so much experience i'm going to try to steal some wealth from that um sure. let's let's talk about how many editions have you played so far are you, are you still are you one of those who plays 3.5 pathfinder or are you are you someone who keeps coming right. And going
1: right so i have played let's go through the start uh the basic red box which then You know, also they included a blue box, which was expert. I didn't get into the next box after that, but so red and blue box. So that's basic D&D. They call it basic Mm D&D and then AD&D. And then I did play 2.0, 3.0, 3.5, then got into Pathfinder. And that's what I currently still run is Pathfinder Mm one. I have been in games of D&D 5e and enjoyed it. I, as the additions continue, It's for me, it's all just the fun of the game. And, you know, now 2022 decades later, we're, we're bringing in more players than we ever have before. There'll be different perspectives and different types of games. And uh, the more players, the better, honestly, any style of games, you know, people have different takes on what they have at their table. Uh, Some run a lot of role-playing, some run it as a tactical sim, some do a combination, I think throughout the editions of D and D, you had an opportunity to play that style all along, whatever your table um, wanted and whatever your table you know wanted to play. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So I guess five different editions, and I've played a slew of the other role playing games. You know, you want to talk about Gamma World, Traveller, Marvel superheroes, Paranoia, Top Secret, uh, D twenty Modern, D twenty Future. Recon, uh, Twilight 2000, the list goes on. Yeah, those are all the games from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, um, the uh, Mage or Vampire, The Masquerade. I've played that. Uh, run games in that as well.
0: So you know, with, with all the years and all the changes, and we have, you know, up to five E, six point five, maybe in ten years, who knows? Yeah. What What do you see from from, uh, Edition One or Advanced D and D to where we're at now what are the biggest changes and what are the biggest similarities um, that you've seen over the years
1: sure i'd say one of the biggest changes is the uh crunchiness right the math piece of it i find i'll be honest i find <laughs> there's a lot of us i don't know i don't consider myself a grognard or a neckbeard or whatever term you want to use for yeah, an old yeah. style gamer i i fit in with that crowd well no worries but a, a lot of those uh, my colleagues in that group, at our age, uh, find the earlier editions better for them. I'll be honest. That 3.5 was a was a turning point for me. That 3.5 into Pathfinder first-edition, ed edition, with the uh, skills, you know, you have stealth plus eight. I rolled twenty-sided. I had the eight. It's either a DC or a compare against their perception, and it's a very easy to get a result. I, I find that that was a game changer for me and that's i'll be i mean it makes I suppose it makes sense if i think about it the, i haven't progressed to running games in 5e because i got to pathfinder one and really enjoyed the system now there can be the crunchiness or the math of it can get a little wonky at the high levels you just have to know how to play those games i i would for my take i the campaign, so I have a current campaign every Saturday I play an international group, but that same group um, a year and a half ago, we finished up a campaign at level twenty in Pathfinder and that was you know it 's pretty wonky you know uh, five four attacks around hundreds of points of hit point damage um, to me, then it becomes I really lean more on the story at the higher levels because you get those One, you know, first round kills on the on the big bad guy at at the highest levels of the game. So I do like what 5e did with bringing it back to having some kind of limitation in the sense that, you know, plus one is a big deal, a plus one, plus two, a plus three. That's it. That's as far as it goes. So I can appreciate that approach for 5e and glad they did that. Um, I still stick with the Pathfinder first edition. I've really found my stride with that, and we've been playing that for a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what, what is it about Pathfinder first edition? I mean, once it seems like it seems like right now, you have hardcore players in Pathfinder 5e, and you have a lot of players playing 5e because of the popularity of it. But if you go back absolutely. And, but if you go like look at the, the Pathfinder players, the first edition Pathfinder players, I don't know if there's an edition that comes out in the next 70 years where they're still not playing Pathfinder first edition. It seems they have like a cult of cult following.
1: I I would agree. And uh, from the practical side, I'll be honest, the rules are online for free. So when I bring, I, for example, in this current campaign, we're going into session 76. Um, We started January of 2021 and we're going to go all the way through 140 sessions planned, organized in chapters. We we'll can talk about that later. Um, one of those players was a 5e player, came over from D and D 5e, and they've had to adjust and and learn the Pathfinder um, rule set, which is different. They're doing very well at that. They're adjusting very well to that. Um, I would say part of, the, but one thing I'm getting back to one really top thing of why I stick with Pathfinder one is the rules are online. I know that sounds kind of you know, just real straight-up-the-middle simple reasoning, but when that new player comes in as a 5e player, I can tell her, hey, no worries. We can guide you as we play and as you learn, or if you want to put some time in, go ahead and here's the link. And she can go right to that and just start reading. Like, there's no purchase of books, um, that kind of thing. Um, I do... I play t- two games a week via Roll20 plus Discord, Mm-hmm. That's what I've really been accustomed to. And I was using Roll20 way before COVID. So um, I'm really enjoying seeing people come to the virtual tabletop systems. Now, on Sundays, I will run a one-shot at a local gathering uh, in San Jose at a place called the Guild House, which is super fun. I ran one last Sunday, so we had a blast. But, um, yeah, I, I would say one of – so that's one thing is that the rules are readily available online. I can just send somebody a link for just the core basic rules of Pathfinder 1, and they can read as much as they want to, or we can just guide them as the game goes on. I, I like to keep it a game, rule of cool. If you want to try something uh seems a little bit swinging from the chandeliers or a little action, movie action, just roll the 20, we'll figure it out. It's all about the fun for me. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I would say. One main reason. Another reason is... Uh, the volume of content, obviously there's been many years put into Pathfinder 1, so there's a lot of resources. I find that Paizo has some great um, accessories as well. So, for example, like the flip maps that they have, I brought a flip map down to Guildhouse and was just able to use a you know, dry erase marker and create the room, and we, we were able to put tokens down and just start playing within minutes. Uh, that's you know that's, So those accessories that Paizo's been putting out for years... I've been really, really good for getting games going. That's, that's another reason, I would say. Yeah, And I will say for the Saturday group, this is a little bit specific to our table, is one of our players is like a Pathfinder 1 savant when it comes to rules. And that helps to have a player who's just so... And his approach is very neutral, so he will remind me when I have missed an attack or, or something like an attack for opportunity... That player, Peter, will say, uh, actually, hey, I just wanted to point out that that person moved through a threatened square. You needed, to, you can do attack of opportunity there. So that helps to have, you know, I'm running the game. I can focus on the storyline, you know, the, the, the boots on the ground combat as well. But every so often, Peter will help us. And I, I'll be honest with you. I turn some of my rules asks to him and I say, Hey, per raw rules is written. What does it say in this situation? He'll give me a result. He's just a savant. He can just produce it just right off the top of his head. We may confirm a little bit online looking it up, but he's 99 times out of 100, he's right. It's pretty interesting having that player. He's not a rules lawyer per se. He won't stop the game, but he'll offer the raw, and then I can adjudicate based on what what I'd like to happen. It's great. Yeah, yeah.
0: So when I started my table, and I'm a pretty young DM. I think we're at 17th um, session. Right. Ever. Um, which a lot of people will say 17 sessions, we've averaged five, five hours. You know, you're mm-hmm. at so many hours. It, it sounds like a lot, but as you know, 17 sessions as a DM is still, you're still, you know, a novice in a lot of ways. But I actually prefer um, the rules lawyer because I've gotten to my table. I was er- right. early on with my table. I was like, hey, you know, we're going to do this like by the rules because I was, you know, young at it. Now, you know, we have our own yeah. homebrew rules and everything. But um, but I am going to be strict on it. And I really wasn't that strict, but I wanted them to know, like, you can't just do whatever you want at the time. But now mm-hmm. the entire group, uh, it'll be like three rounds of combat have gone by. And they're like, hey, you're not making me do con- concentration checks when I get hit. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. And so now we kind of keep each other in check. So I've actually appreciated that because, as you know, as a DM, it's like, it's like when you're trying to keep track of everything and you can't quite you're, – you're thinking about one thing in battle or how it's going to go. and or A lot going happen? on. There is. So those rules lawyers, I actually love them mm-hmm. because um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's not so much me just saying, I don't like that rule, so no. But someone's like, hey, but what about this rule? i like, oh, yeah, that is a rule. You're right. So go ahead and roll your last da- uh, attack roll because you didn't do that. And let's just add it to right. you know, it. I actually, as a DM, prefer that
1: yeah it's good to have somebody who can be a reference definitely yeah and and it for our table it, it brings us together because now we have a pretty good flow we can <laughs> we can turn and the like the players themselves it, you know as the discord will we myself and say the gunslinger and I will be talking and in the discord chat of the channel of this chapter of, in the while we play you know uh, at peter hey question you know can i blah 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 and he'll answer so it's almost like having a an, an assistant yeah, yeah. It, it's really cool <laughs> so. no,
0: it, is, it is and and to to your point you talked about earlier um mm. trying to get people into 5e because that's generally what i play i'm, I'm part of the 5e sure. baby boomer if you want to call it that of uh, everybody yeah yeah good yeah, for you good um yeah but but trying to get people to f- play five e the the best and only way I found out to do it was to bring them over to my house since we usually play in person I have a few online games but mm-hmm. bring them to my house and if they've never played before it's about four hours of talking about the book and going through it before they can understand it's almost like a zero session but
1: mm-hmm. they
0: have to come to my house because I'm the only one who has all the books because if they were to purchase all the books it'd be four hundred dollars okay. you know it's too much money yeah yeah yeah. So um, I totally right, agree with right. you. The, the way that they have, you have to spend all this money to get into the game. I, I really, that's one thing I don't like about 5e is you have to spend quite a bit.
1: But I will say the way you're running it is the way I started. You know, usually it was the DM who had the resources and all the friends would come over. And everybody would ride their bikes over that. You know, strange, uh, by the way, Stranger Things is 100% accurate. That's actually, we actually, that's how we played is the friends went over and went into the basement with the, table and the little demigorgon and all that from that first uh, se- uh the first season of Stranger Things. Yeah. I I actually that show is great and I watched it for the D&D because I I would just point, you know, the meme where the guy points. He sits yeah. up from the that meme <laughs> that was that was me literally. Yeah. Those 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 nerdy kids on bikes, that that was us. And uh the DM typically had the rule set most often. Um now the players began to get a players handbook at Christmas or or you know that type of thing, um, or maybe get one from a garage sale or something. But yeah, they then they would bring their player's handbook over and could reference that. But yeah, for for many years and for all of the whole slew of games that I was talking about earlier, all of those, I typically had the box set or the set, Cyberpunk, for example. Yeah. I, yeah, so, you're right. Yeah, so, ch- moving
0: on to you've played sure. this game since. What was the first year you played the game? Do you think
1: the first year? <clears throat> yeah. Well,
0: eighty
1: uh, four. Eighty four. Okay. So, yeah. Or yeah. It,
0: so. Yeah. Eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. We have this like sort of satanic panic type of realm still in the yeah. air. How does it yeah. feel? How does it feel after playing for all these years? And now D and D is like turning a major corner, and now everybody's talking about it. You brought up you brought up Stranger Things, which is the new season of Stranger Things, episode one of season four, if you haven't seen it, has got to be the I best. Watch it. Yeah. It's got to be the best D and D commercial you've ever seen in your life. The newest, <laughs> newest Stranger Things. Uh, we have Critical uh, World, Dimension Twenty, Vox Machina. Mm-hmm. How, does it, how does it feel going from like those early days of someone who like stuck it out as a Jets fan per se, who never won a Super Bowl, and then now it's like the it's like turning into the big thing. So how does that feel for you?
1: Uh, double thumbs up. I I'm all for it. The more people who play D and D, the better. I'll tell you, the first Gen Con I went to was Gen Con Seventeen. That was before they moved to Mecca in Milwaukee. It was at Parkside, the University of um, uh, Riverside, Wisconsin, Parkside, Gen Con 17. You know, 12-year-old kid walking in playing these games, eyes full of wonder, parents helping me get the little ticket, get in. I think the more people playing D&D, the better. Uh, there, there are some folks that say, like, you know, there's Twitter topics like, you know, why would you want to role play, what is it, being a barista or something like that and have these sort of maybe soft goals or what have you. I don't see it that way. I think every table gets to choose their game and yeah. and, and if and if a particular style of play isn't for you, no drama. Just say, Hey, this was great. You know what? It's not a fit for me. I'm gonna find another table. You guys have fun. And I've had folks uh leave my games that's totally fine no no um like i said no drama no worries so the the new people influx to 5e just play that's (laughs) i would say i've just asked folks to play as you know i do see i on some discord channels and twitter i see people any i retweet anytime somebody says i've been i have the books i've been reading but i can't find a table or can't find a game i want people to find their home to find that group of people that they can bond with and the laughs, some games can get emotional or have have yeah. some serious topics. Yeah. That's good, too. I've been in those games. You know, I've, the whole spectrum, I've seen those. And I just, with the new influx, I, I love it that it, people are talking about it on talk shows or whatnot. You know, like the different celebrities playing D&D. Yeah. It's hilarious. I mean, I think it's great. Uh, yeah, find your table. Uh, if you're a DM, create that table. Find those players who fit with your style. My current campaign is a is a early Iron Age, low magic Conan esque, um, a kind of gritty. That's the flavor I wanted to go with with this campaign in particular, and it's been great. Uh, I even introduced, I introduced it as a as an E6 campaign, which means the players stop advancing at sixth level. Mm. The idea there is the mechanic is a dragon is always dangerous yeah. to a group at sixth level. Now you continue to get feats. I've since Release that, but what had happened in the first 20 30 sessions as I was creating the storyline and getting the story arc going, the players had a real sense that uh, the reason level six is was the cap for the E6 style in Pathfinder is a fourth level spell, you know, as you get seventh, eighth, ninth, you get teleport, you get things like raise dead, you don't quite get resurrection yet, but you get those. A, they can make the game kind of wonky. You know, I mean, everybody's familiar with the idea that fighters progress linearly and the, and the mage, the wizard is quadratic. It just, you know, once they take off, there's no stopping them. They can bounce around dimensions and summon anything and all that. So it has been very um, interesting. So I, I think, yeah, getting back to the topic of the new influx of players, all for it. Uh, you know, m- the more, the more the merrier. Um, I did look, you know, I was looking at Wikipedia. I saw that, you know, that first Gen Con 17 I went to, it had like, I don't know, 3,500 or 5,000 attendees. And I had gone to some of them in the mid-90s that had 30,000. Um, uh, you, One thing I'll say for all the new players and the online, being online and podcasts like this mm-hmm back in the and this is a bit of reminiscing back in the day when you walked into gen con when we walked into gen con 18 at mecca Mm -hmm. i i saw others who looked just like me thick glasses not really athletic backpack full of rule books and dice and all that and there were just thousands of us and it was so it was empowering to be honest you know for a for a young like a you know 13 14 15 and my parents blessed them. They kept bringing me back to Gen Con, and it, I mean, they saw that that was an interest for me, and they really supported me. So, man, the fact that we can quickly—you can quickly find tables now. You can go yeah. out. to, There's all kinds of resources for finding games and tables, whether it's virtual or in person. And I just, I just love the idea. <laughs> One thing we joke about in my Saturday game is if the if the roll twenty is a little um, doesn't respond real fast, we take that as a good thing. That means. Thousands of people on a Saturday are playing D anD. d Oh
0: uh, yeah, okay. I love it.
1: Yeah, that's.
0: I a, love it. Do think about it? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. how how do you describe how do you describe D anD. d If someone's trying to get into playing, how can you describe it? And I I always like to preface it by saying I've I've tried to describe it to people in like a layman's terms with it's all about mm. rolling dice and it's all about um you know the, these these skill checks and things but Really, to me, it's more about what the what it feels like when you're down two death saves and there's only one left. You know, right. It, it, it's that, that's that's like D and D for me. Like it's it's those. And you moments. make it,
1: and everybody cheers at the Ex- table. Ex- exactly. So how much. do you,
0: how do you describe that that moment, those moments in D and D to new players?
1: Well, one thing I talk about a lot is the dice. The dice are key. There are diceless games, and those folks who play and enjoy those, that's great. That's not really for me, because I find that the the aspect of the 1 to 20 result, in my game's home rule, a 1 always fails, a 20 always succeeds. So, um, you know, that that chance to cheer in a moment, a clutch moment, that is important. So how would I describe that to somebody... You know, honestly, going back to a previous topic, you say Dungeons and Dragons and most people do a head nod. Like, oh, okay. Like, I've, inter- I, in, you know, introduced that to folks at my company on the Slack channel that I play D&D and nobody even blinked. Uh, but for somebody who's never played it before, I might say it's, a, you know, you get to choose. It's a story where you choose the character's actions, but you're not sure if it's going to work or not. And together between the... The DM and the player, you roll the dice to find out and then both or either or have to react to that. Um, one of the earliest fun moments that we had at, you know, we were all in, in high school and, and the, you know, the half Elf Rangers is AD and D. He says, hark, my golden arrow. He has an arrow of dragon slaying and he, and he goes to shoot it and we still talk about this 30 years later. He rolled the dice, rolled a one. He says, hark, my golden arrow roll the die and everybody starts laughing. He goes, damn my golden arrow. You know, that kind of, it was a hilarious moment that years later, these friends were still together. You know, we like go to the cabin in the summer in August and we just, you can laugh about those things. So it's creating those moments. I think um, as a way to describe to people who have never played. So storytelling, cooperative storytelling with dice in the sense that it's, it adds the random factor. That's key for me. I would, I would definitely mention that. Um, You know, I've used the metaphor like it's Monopoly, but you don't go round and round. You go wherever you want. You still make decisions like Monopoly with your cash in hand. That would be gold. You know, you have your certain amount of gold and you're like, do I buy the the upgraded, you know, leather armor or do I keep saving for a horse? You know, it's those decisions. So, yeah.
0: Uh, You've completed campaign, long campaigns. it sounds like, as a DM,
1: right? Yeah, definitely.
0: So what's the, what does it take? One shots are kind of easy, for kind of DMs to get into, like a sixth shot or a mini series, it kind of happens. Sure. But for a DM to finish a full story arc, a multi-year story arc, um, I'm God. currently almost halfway done with a multi-year story arc that I'm praying to finish. Wow, that's but great. It, but, it, but it's hard, right? It's it's not. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like near impossible. So what do you tell those DMs, like mm-hmm. myself, these other DMs, like how do you get it? How do you get it finished? People move. People, you have, how do you keep it exciting? How do you keep it moving? Uh, we don't talk about the ending of a story arc very often. Um, and even for experienced DMs, it's kind of hard to end a two-year story arc. So how do you do it?
1: Right. So there's a few different ways that I do that. One thing I do is there's, there's two different modes of thought with the map that a DM would start with with their campaign. Some, and I've seen these, I've watched these YouTube um, instructionals, and it's totally valid as a method if you want to try it. You start with the town and the nearby dungeon, but don't map anything else build it as it comes. If they go West, build to the West. The idea there is you're not sinking a ton of time into towns that are 150 miles to the Northeast that they may never get to now. Okay. So that's one method, but to me, Dungeons and Dragons is my art. It's how I'm creative. It's how I spend my spare time. I'm writing, thinking, daydreaming, handwriting maps, looking for maps online. I, I, I put in twice the amount of time we play every week in advance of the game we're about to play. So we play three hours every Saturday. I'm doing six hours of input into whether it's the individual characters, story arc, or what have you. So that's one thing. So you can do the way where you start in a place and then map it as they go. That's great for those who want to try that. Me, I start with the campaign map, the whole map. And I think about, for me, what's important is the interplay of the powers so if you have a nation in the center um, and then uh, maybe there's a border, think about that and what sort of themes do you want from that conflict? Or how do dragons, I mean, you got to think about you have a nation with castles and there's a queen and she's very powerful and she has a great army and there's this dragon in this mountain range in the north. Well, how, give some thought to how that works out. That's stuff the players, they don't see behind the curtain, but I find that part of the joy is investing in that world-building time making those notes. Um, oh, shoot, I should have had them with me, but I, I have one of them. One of the things I do is, I'm not always in front of a computer to write, so I use these type of books from, you know, oh, you buy nice. this kind of leather-bound book, yeah. and it's it's loaded with notes. I, I You know, I I might say at the top of a page, I say, elves. And if I'm in between, you know, my daughter plays lacrosse, we're in between, we're at a tournament, we're in between, I'll pull this out and just maybe look up in the sky, think about, wait, what's something cool about elves? I'll write one, some, one thing down. I don't have to, you can do it anytime, and that's the advantage of bringing a book like this. Leather bound, it's got that D&D vibe to it, you for know, sure, it's got the whole sure. you know, yeah, so that's, that's one same. way that I would suggest is, is bring that with you, and um, so that, you know, I look at the whole map I'm writing notes down, things I like to ask myself, and I do this on Twitter a lot, people will say, hey, world building, AMA ask me anything, and I'll say, who makes the best cheese in your world? And they're like, never thought of that. I'm like, well, write it down and it might spurn you to something else. Who has the best shipbuilding? These are the kind of questions I like to ask myself in my current campaign, you know, and the previous one. And then I get an idea. Now, those players may never get to that port city, but why it's important is in the tavern 500 miles away, maybe they're looking, they're in another body of water and they look out and they can say, ah, That was, that ship was made in Port Royal. That's the, oh, and then, and then an NPC nearby will say, Port Royal, they make the best ships. And so you drop that little bit in and it's the realism. It creates the realism. So if you know who makes the best cheese, when the cheese lands, you can say it's a platter of fresh baked bread and cheese from the Midlands, you know, something, something. And that adds that realism. So if you think through your cities, your towns, your regions, what they're about the kind of the way their helmets are shaped. I get down to the detail of what's on the side of their chariot, you know, all those kind of things. And sounds like a big investment of time, but for me, it's the love of it. I it's it's in my heart. I can't get enough. To be obviously, it's thirty eight years in. Yeah. So, um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying you need this when you start a campaign, but I go all in. I was writing this new campaign for six months while the other campaign was getting to level twenty in advance and you know for session one here's your 16 page pdf (laughs) right of the campaign so now that is can be some overload for some tables that are a little light you know they want to just play a fun game on a sunday or whatever that's cool keep it more general all good have a, a small number of npcs in the mix you're fine but no i i go whole hog i have lists of npcs and how they relate to the party and i keep i use discord channels to keep track of that i post i write a summary of every game after every session so you know we we play sunday uh, saturday mornings and then i'll spend the next hour at the end of the session writing what happened in detail names places whatnot and then i put that both into the roll 20 there's that campaign journal in roll 20 and then also i copy it over into the discord channel you know, so that we all have a an idea. And then it helps with the summary. You know, come into the next session. You go from 76 to 77. The players can all, if they want, go back. I have a couple players that, I'll be honest, they're not really following the the, the campaign story arc. Not really. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. They forget names all the time. Yeah. They're just rolling dice and having fun. Awesome. I, I love those players, too. I have one player. <laughs> um, She has more notes than I have for my... And I'm behind the curtain. You know, she's been... For seventy-five sessions, she's been writing everything down personally on her side, yep. and she'll do. Um, and she has a document, and the, we laugh as a group on Saturday. she be like, "Hold on, I'll control F." We know that name. Hold on, <laughs> she'll do <laughs> control F and find. And she's like, "Oh, oh, oh, session thirty-two. That was a Spearman from some land. They're called the Ulstoi. Um, They're known for their square brow boats." And she'll have this detail, and 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 I just have to applaud her. I mean, she's just great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Um. So to that, so the camp, the world building for me, my method is I go big macro. I look at the whole map and I'll print a couple versions of that map and then I'll draw circles and arrows. Movement is important. Like, where is that nation moving? What do they care about? Are they staying put? Are they xenophobic? Are they up in their mountains? They're not going to, you know, um, or are they going to invade? So my campaign currently is called... um, Poinau or peace was never an option that's the, that's the theme that's the name of the campaign and I just introduced it to the players session one like I read that a piece of that intro PDF and it's basically like the war is coming like it's peace was never an option it's right. it's this thing is gonna this thing is gonna mash probably in the center like this and they're they're a part of it and they can they're part of it is they can direct the success of, they can choose a side, they can not choose a side, they can try to save the innocent, whatever they want to do, you know? yeah. So I start with the macro, the campaign map. Uh, I'll be honest, one method I espouse is I hike a lot, and when I'm walking, I get a lot of ideas, because I'm, you know, some people are moving and thinking, folks, and when I'm hiking, and I come over a ridge, and there's maybe a tree blow, so I, I definitely... Encourage uh, movement, you know, mountain biking or hiking uh, out in the woods. If you have a body of water, you can walk near as you're thinking about those ports or seafaring trade, trade routes, mapping. So one of the, you print your whole world map, Mm -hmm. draw arrows, draw arrows where the ships go. Where's the trade routes? Who trades with who? You can do a trading map and only you see it, right? But it's, it's in the moment of the game where you can reference that, where you can say, oh, Jenny Harkin is known to take her vessel the spear north from Port Royal to Toron, you know, on monthly. So the players have that in their head. Not only does it add some realism and gives them, oh, who's this Captain Jenny Harkin and her ship and all that, but it also, um, you know, provides that opportunity where they could catch that ship and go north to Tauren, that type of thing. So, yeah, I start with the macro and then get into the detail. Um, this this campaign I have run in Peace is Never an Option. Movement of the party was important, so I had them start in one town and then immediately go to, uh, I'll, be, I'll just tell you, uh, uh, sessions one through 13 were B2 Keep on the Borderlands, the old classic, <laughs> right? With that, you know, red-pink cover, and, yeah. and um, that's what I ran as the first 13 sessions of this campaign, and it was a riot. You know, I had them walking up to the keep and meeting folks there and then going off to the Caves of Chaos, and I reused that, and it the players didn't know that's what they were playing. And then at the end of the, as they left chapter one or session 13, I said, Hey, here's the cover of the module you just played. And two of the players were like, Ah, oh, I played that way back in the day. And I said, for those who have never played keep on the borderlands update CV check mark done, you know, you've played B2 keep on the borderlands. Right. And they're like, wow. You know, so that's, that's been cool. fun. Um, and I do lean, you know, I do lean heavily on pre-made stuff, you know, Hey, if there's a map out there that, you know, the creator of the map is like, yeah, use this dungeon for sure, and you don't have anything in mind, you can just throw a quick five-room dungeon up for a weekend game and just have fun. And, you know, you don't have to be stressed about, about planning and writing. I've done that where I've had, I know I say I do six hours minimum, but I've had weeks where work was heavy. There, maybe there was family stuff. Maybe we were on a vacation or traveling. I didn't have time. I just, you know, you've got to wing it sometimes. That's fine, too.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I've am i probably talked about 20 DMs so far, and nobody's ever done the macro start like you're talking about except for me. I do it the okay. same exact way you do it. Because for my me man, my man. For me, it's extremely important to do it the same way. So when I did my campaign, I spent three weeks before we started, and I had a module in my hand, a pre-written module, and I looked yeah. at it, and, and they're cool, don't you? Know, but I looked at it. And I, and I read through it, and I was thinking to myself like, for me it's gonna be less than because I I don't know this world. This it's it's not my world. Like I couldn't I couldn't quite right. I couldn't quite attach myself to it. So I was like, okay, I have to like and and I like now that I've gone through it and uh, you know I've seen Critical Role and I know about Tal'Dorei and all that. I could do a pre-written one and be totally fine. But when I was starting out, I didn't I took it. I didn't want to be like outside of the loop and not know, I don't know about Waterdeep. I don't know about some of these places. So I said,
1: yeah, I'm going to
0: make my own, make your own. Yeah. So I mean, I started making my own and I'm glad I put all the time into it, but I did the same thing you did. Some people will talk about, um, if your adventure group has a clue to go West and they decide to go East, just move that city to the East. I don't do that.
1: 100. Yeah. Oh, you don't. Okay.
0: I, I don't do that. I don't do that. Um, uh, I, and, and I totally respect that, that. For you. Yeah. I totally, I totally respect that. I, I get it. But the reason I don't do it is because um, whenever we're in a. First of all, I, the only rule I had for them is for the first couple campaign or couple sessions, don't leave the continent, is what I told them. Like, please, just for the sure. first couple sessions, don't leave the continent. Because yeah. I'm, still, re, I'm yeah. still writing this whole thing out. At the um,
1: yeah, that's. That's a positive metagame everybody at the table can agree to, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but but I don't do the, the move the move continent or the move town thing mm. if like they're going left or right. Um,
1: the thing, yeah, the quest. Move the yeah. quest when they, yeah.
0: And, and, and it's like, the, it's, it's very common for everybody and I totally respect it. But I didn't want to do that because I was like, well, if, if if they want to go left instead of right, like if they decide to and my group thinks it's really funny to like thwart my plans. um mm-hmm. And, and it's not, like, serious. They're not right. just like, okay, we're going to go left instead of yeah. right just to get him off off his thing.
1: Yeah, then, yeah, know, no, I can appreciate-
0: Yeah, they, they, they know when I'm really mad because I'll start flipping through yeah. my notes and I'll look at, like, okay, so this is where I'm like, all right, I guess we're going here. And then they all kind of start laughing because they're like, oh, he didn't have this plan. But, um, <laughs> but my group was really getting good at it, and a part of me was like, you know what, I'm just going to do what you said. Like, there's a dynasty here. And I'll mm-hmm. even use the, the DM's guide. It'll tell you, like, roll a D100 to say what kind of government it is. And I'll roll a D100. And it's yep. like, oh, yeah, it's this. Absolutely. And then it'll say, what what you know type of people live here? It's, oh, it's this. Or it's halfling. Well, halflings are usually known for being really good at tinkering and really good at making things. They're like, okay, well, what if mm-hmm. everything's based off a of trade here? And this area is like a really trade-heavy area with a lot of halflings. So I do that with almost every little group. So in case they go somewhere, I'm the same as you, though. Like, I like to know what my environment is. So if they do go there, yeah. it's like it's like it's like a really healthy thing. Like there's a Bounty Hunters Guild. I have like three pages on the Bounty Hunters Guild. So in case right they, in case they ever want to do it, it's not just like, "Oh, I'm going to take this this poster of some a wanted poster and go do it." I'm like, "Well, actually, it's different here. You have to be recognized by a government and they have to give you a chit and there's a whole process and if you can't do that, you have to be a bounty hunter under somebody else." And if you're a bounty hunter mm. under somebody else, it's a whole another Complication for them, um, but it makes it fun because now they have to figure out how to get money through a bounty hunter's the guild. They, they can't just take the paper and go kill somebody or go get sure. somebody. And if they do decide to do that, there's repercussions. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah. cause and effect.
0: Yeah, you're trying to turn somebody in, but you don't have this bounty hunter's chip. Well, now you're gonna go to jail. Now you're in trouble. So it's I agree with you in that regard. Like you should try to put some some thought into almost a lot of these things so you can enhance your game.
1: Um, yeah, and i it's funny i said i didn't have them uh, accessible actually i did here's here's one this is the current campaign <laughs> i did they're right here of course they're right but yeah, and then this is yeah. the previous campaign That's i just want to awesome. like you know yeah so like this is this is like the intro to the campaign and I'm, I'm just going to show you know here's the uh, macro campaign map right oh, you made and that, then man. uh yeah. yeah and then here's 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 the gods and that type of thing and i'm here i'll keep um so and each, there's, here's a goddess here, um, like that. And so you can see that there's some open space in this book. That's space for, you know, if, you get, if I get some inspiration, I can get that down. Now there's other sections which are very detailed. So here's a much more detailed map of that original campaign. Oh, and there's yeah. colored dots that represent the powers, dragons, uh, liches, um, vampires, that kind of thing. So, you know, the idea of having something like this that's physical. So, yes, we play online every Saturday. But I can always throw this in my in the car, in the backpack if we're going on a trip, whatever. And I can take notes as I as I like to. Um, so this was the previous campaign we ran. This for four years. They went up to level twenty. It was super fun. Here's the current one. Um, and yeah, so um, what's great is the the family knows to like give me maybe one every two Christmases. You know, one, two Christmases I get another one, another one of these leather bound because they know that they I, I end up using them. So yeah, uh, that's, but, that's uh, awesome. It's a lot of fun. And then you can do drawings too. Like there's drawings, you know, and and I won't say I'm a great artist. Not at all. I mean, you can see some of the symbols look pretty silly, right? I don't know if you can see that, but you know, I'm just, I'm trying to get the feel. So as you write it out, there's that visceral creative process where you can write and draw. Now I've like the intro page of this, the current campaign. (laughs) Hey, I'm human. You can, you see, you see the tear right here, the first write up was terrible. I didn't like it. <laughs> Ripped it right out of the book. Yeah. And, um, and then wrote the second page. But I left that tear in there kind of on purpose. A little bit of, you know, um, it, it, and actually, you know, Ken, we even can't be. But, um, yeah, I start with the macro. And then I'll, um, and uh, you know, naming a road, you know, the westward Way or something like that. That's, that's cool. I will look at other sources. I have a friend of mine. He's an architect. He says, good architects borrow, great architects steal. So, hey, if there's something from Game of Thrones, yeah, if you think there's something from Game of Thrones that's completely awesome, put it in your campaign. It's fine. It's a game. Nobody's going to, they might go, hey, is this from that? And you'd be like, and they'll be like, okay, it's pretty cool. It works in here, you know. So um, another tip I would give is if you have an idea on Thursday and your game's on Saturday, use it that weekend. Don't wait. Don't wait if you if you have some sort of inspiration driving to work or something. Try to scrip, write down some notes safely, whatever, back and then and then put it into the game. Don't wait because, and that's a piece of advice I received from another longtime DM, Bruce. He's great. He advised that because he had found that over the years he would write down the the good idea, and then he would never use it. Yep, yeah. and it's like, oh man, I missed my ch-. no. Your chance is the next game, so throw it in. That's. It's a game. Throw it in. Um, see what happens. Sometimes the players will attach to a theme. Um, you know, it's the classic haha about the door. They'll spend 30 minutes investigating a door when really it's what's beyond it is important. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs>
0: so. there is one thing I do, and it, you tell me if you do this because I'm kind of curious. is You'll have this sure. plan. You'll have this plan set up for an encounter, and you'll be at a store shop, and there's some benign NPC that you just wrote up 10 seconds ago, and they come up mm-hmm. with this, like, this pre-judgment on this NPC that t- ties into the storyline. And in your head, you're just like, that is so much cooler than what I actually had planned. So you'll kind of just be like, all right. And you'll write, you'll write something down and it comes up. How often
1: does that happen? A lot. Yes. I, one of my players, I have a, I have eight players at the table. Not everybody can make every Saturday. That's fine. I, you know, we, some, you know, we'll, we won't, we, one to three won't be able to make it because of family or whatever um, other duties. But um I have one player Foxy. She's a she's from the Netherlands. She comes up with the best ideas and I'm so grateful. She'll de- she'll private message me in Discord. She said, "Hey, wait a second. What if blah blah blah?" And I'm like, it's "Genius." And I'll put it right in. Sometimes, I'd say 50% of the time for her ideas, I throw them right in because they're they're better than mine. They're oh, great. Yeah. Um, and then the other time I'm like, "Not ah, quite where it's going? That's a great idea. I'm very thankful. I tell her so. Grateful and then it goes the other way but yeah um man when players come up with something and i look behind the behind the curtain behind the screen yeah we're going to go with that right yeah. definitely yeah. yeah and and i'm a, some people say the dm is a player too i appreciate their creativity they bring it to life the way they react <laughs> i'll tell you a quick story they're in a port town you know they're all in a tavern discussing the, they had a rough go in a dungeon they're all sort of you know role playing that they're like uh, you know, and yeah. half hit points and all this stuff. and this madman goes by in the street and kind of expecting like the note taking mage to go follow him, and you know, no, he bangs on the glass and says some crazy stuff that everybody hears, but it's the player, like I said, there was a couple of players who you know they're not really following the campaign storyline, and they just have a good character, and they go with it. yeah, this character is a uh cat folk brawler, so. <laughs> She just she just runs up to stuff in the dungeons and punches them. It's great, and that's she that's what she wanted to play, and that's her Saturday. She enjoys it. Um, maybe it's cathartic for her. But she goes, oh, I'll follow that madman, and the madman goes out and he weaves this crazy story that he's been to the end of the world, and she's like, oh, God, that's awesome. Are you hungry? Like you seem like you're kind of like in rags, whatever. And he's like saying all these wild things, like he's seen his face at a glass surface, at the, and that's where the waves crash up and that's it that's the end of the world is this crystalline wall <laughs> and that's where the world literally and honestly i was thinking one of the other players would be like wow well I've, we've seen a reference of the no the player who followed that npc was the one who doesn't really care and so that whole thread was lost It was hilarious <laughs> and that that to me is so funny as a dm because behind the screen right i was like that madman totally was an npc that was supposed to drop some lore <laughs> yeah and it totally failed. <laughs> it was and and here I am talking about it on the podcast. So it's given yeah. me gifts, you know, still, but yeah. that happens too. Like sometimes you put something in front of the players and they totally like you were saying, they go west instead of east and you're like okay, cool. We can do this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh but speaking to when they go west instead of east, some of my yeah. favorite moments, some of my best moments or proudest moments as a DM and you could probably attest to this is yeah. the things that happen during improv that seem to be like, like special, like think, some things happen in, improvisational and you didn't think were going to happen. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is like really cool. And I didn't, I was, I was just, we're in here by accident or this NPC shows up by accident, but now they're like the most favored NPC of all time. Um, have you ever had that in your campaign?
1: 100%. So they were in the caves of chaos and I had six, Henchman. I use the old A, D, and D term henchmen. The six henchmen came with. And I wrote up the name and um, and I used it. I just used an online generator, NPC generator like Kassoon. Yep. So if you look that up, if you go NPC generator Kassoon, and I just hit the button and I pick and choose the what I think is interesting from the random generator. So one of the guys, um, um, I was like Mava, his, he, so he was obsessed with the number eight. He carried um, you know, eight eight little pebbles in his pouch he would he would carry eight torches in a bag and pull one out and you know he was and so the the players were like oh make sure you know mava has uh eight of those you know whatever they'd give him out they'd give him copper silver and and bits of eight and so all of those characters were really interesting um and there were six of them right so there was a cat there was like a lieutenant um from the keep who because the castellan of the keep wanted to kind of keep an eye of what this party was doing over in the caves of cast. They were having success and coming back with coin. And it was like, you know, so he sent these six henchmen along. Um, but one of the henchmen I had, he's just an NPC. I made his name is Sam the mad. And you know, he's like a, a you know, like a tribal, sort of like a Highlander fighter with a Mohawk. And, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, his, his crazy actions, the, the party loved it. They loved this, NPC, Samthy the Mad. And so at the end of 13, they left the Midlands to keep on the borderland and they went west. And I parked that. And I was, and I'll be honest, I waited, I think it was session like 52. Uh-huh. They, they met Samthy again. And they're like, oh. and it was like meeting an old friend, right? Yeah, because of, yeah. of those six, you know, they had brought one of those NPC troopers along. His name's Mendelssohn. I don't know. I just went with that for the name. Uh, and yeah. it stuck. And we call, him, we call him Medley. And there's some flirting between the wizard yeah. and Mendelssohn. And yeah. he keeps getting up. He's he shot the paladin in the back with ones like three times. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's, the, yeah. it's those inside jokes on a table that you get. But when they saw Samthy the Mad they lost their shit they as players they were like oh you know ah, and they were like glad handing them, you know doing the warrior's grass. well met yeah. you know well met yeah. Sammy, how have you been where have you been and i had a little bit of a story together and yeah. they love that they love that so that's a key thing if i can if i have a you know if you're giving me an opportunity to you know give some tips when they really connect with an npc and then they move on It might be a little metagaming, but throw that NPC back in 10 sessions later, 20 sessions later. That is so good. You're just waiting as a DM. That's one of the joys I have behind the screen is waiting, waiting, and then it blossoms. It's perfect. So, yeah, try to do that. Yeah, and I definitely have the NPCs that the characters glob onto. So, yeah, Uh, Mendelssohn, they've brought him along the whole way now, all the way up. And, you know, as they level up, they're level six now, Um, as they've leveled up, Mendelssohn's gotten better, you know. He yeah. started as just a random NPC with some real basic stats, but we've, you know, now he's picking feats and, you know, not shooting the pallet in the back as much and you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, been <clears throat> so good.
0: We're looking at. I, I talk to a lot of people who are even mm-hmm. experienced players. I mean, players who played over ten years that don't want to DM and they don't DM. Um, how can you describe the feeling? of when you bring back an npc after 52 episodes or a character dies and comes back or these these experiences that that you have in your head like you said watching your daughter play in lacrosse and all of a sudden it snaps into your head like I know I know what's going to happen like you you have an yeah. idea for this so for it to be yep. a culmination of making maps and setting up stories and the players rolling right and all of a sudden you finally get to do this thing you've been trying to do how do you explain mm-hmm. the, the twinkling eyes of the person across from you when you're like how can you explain that to DMs who are afraid to DM or players who are afraid to DM?
1: Sure, I you know, I, our group would never force somebody who doesn't want to DM to do it. I, I think anybody can. You know, some people might say, you know, a little um they would say, "Oh, I I I couldn't DM because of this reason or that reason." Anybody can do it. If you can tell a story around a campfire, you can DM. It's just add some dice and a little flavor. You know, try it once, do a one shot, see how it goes. If if you don't like it, all good. Be a forever player. I'm a forever DM, no doubt. You know, um, I will play games. I have played games. You know, over the years, but I am pretty much the forever forever DM, and that's really I'm trying to bring joy to the table. Play, you know, I'm trying to provide the challenge that's just enough where they feel like they really accomplished something, and also a bit of story and some development, history, lore that's where i get my joy from it so i would encourage somebody who's maybe you know a little hands off with the dming you know give it a go try it and if it's not your thing it's all good there's there's many different roles in a table um you know find your spot and be be the best version of you you can be yeah
0: sorry my kids but my kids are yelling in the background sorry about
1: that Oh, no, don't be sorry about that. I have my own high school, but yeah, I know um, at work too on Zoom calls. This, you know, this last two and a half years, years has been so weird. Yeah. I've been telling people with cats and dogs and kids, give me the real deal where you're working or where we're talking from. Don't try to hide stuff or, yeah. you know, whatever. Just keep it real. That's how we're all getting through this together. That's <laughs> what I think. But, um, yeah, the twinkling in the eye, though. I, <laughs> so in the Keep in the Borderlands, inside the Keep, There's a there's a place where there's like a well or whatever where the buildings are, and I put a fountain there, and I had a statue of this figure, cross legged, sort of sitting there with his back straight, kind of meditation style, right? Mm -hmm. And there's four gods, and that is the religion is these four gods. This sitting figure is like a philosopher, a wandering ascetic named Loro, L O R O, and and you know some of the characters, you know, they were first level, they rolled and they rolled a fourteen and had. Religion at knowledge, religion at plus one, you know, first level, and they made it. And I said, "You recognize that figure sitting as Loro, like Loro the Wanderer, right?" Oh, that's weird. Why would this keep have that? Well, the Castellan, I just kind of thought all this ahead that the Castellan had an interest in philosophy beyond the religion. You know, many rulers have in the past had an interest in different. So, um, Athelgung Tufel, the Castellan of the Keep, a keep of the Borderlands, put that statue there because he thought it was cool and he was kind of interested in Loro. So plant that seed. Later, they meet wandering aesthetics. They meet robe-wearing followers of Loro. That's weird. Now, they don't, they don't follow the religion the, that everybody grew up with. I don't know if we can trust them. Later, later, later. Then they come to the top of this hill. This is 40-whatever sessions in. Well, actually, the one where Samthe is reintroduced is they come to the top of the hill and Loro is sitting there the actual philosopher, wandering philosopher itself, and has a circle of students, and one of the students is Samthi the Mad, sitting there kind of, you know, he's sort of a Conan wandering warrior kind of, you know, he's, he's following, but he's not really trusting it. And they were like, Samthi. And then one of the, a few of the more religious characters, I had an Inquisitor and a Paladin, they're like, they look and they're like, that's actually Loro. We've been hearing about this wandering philosopher who's kind of a disrupting force in the world, teaching that yes, respect the gods for their traditions, but we're going to find a new way. And is it a cult? Is this person right? Do they have some sort of cosmic wisdom they've discovered? That's yeah. the kind of tension that I've created. And to introduce Lauro at the same time Samthe the Mad was there, it, that twinkle, no, the table exploded. It was hilarious. It was great. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, but it, yeah it's dropped. You're, you keep coming back to these things where you're bringing these... These situations to your players, and a lot of really good DMs will bring these situations to your players where they can go left, right, or they just don't know what to think of it, and it creates table chatter, uh, which is always what a DM wants. When a DM is not saying anything for minutes or even hours, sometimes you know the DM is doing something right. So I had a conversation. Oh, yeah. I had a conversation with um guy from How to Be a Great GM on YouTube. I'm not sure if you follow his. his oh, cool! Team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean that that guy is a world of uh, a, a world of knowledge but he's also got the best voice in D&D I think. When I was talking to him I was blown away awesome. by how good his voice is. Um but That's he so cool. he kind of broke it down on a fundamental level of of creating complications. And a lot of DMs mm. don't don't create complications. And without you saying the words you're creating these detailed complications of like not like a, like a, a black and white complication is you ran out of crossbow bolts, so you have to go to the store and get some. Like that's like a black and white complication. But what you're talking about is more like a philosophical like, how do these how do these interactions with these p- beings, creatures, gods, how are they going to focus the way this this is this campaign is shaped? So you're bringing like a more in depth complication to the storyline. Um, yeah. So, so what can you say about being a DM and how? These complications enhance the story. Whether or not you ran out of crossbow bolts, or there's a literal fork in the road, or you're giving the, the player something like you, like there's something not right about this guy. Or you know, you keep seeing this thing yeah. come back; it's reoccurring. And like now, they have to start thinking about it. Like, what can you say about these complications that enhance the game?
1: Definitely, I I would say at the beginning of a campaign, if you can introduce, it doesn't have to be paragraphs of stuff, but in my campaign Gazetteer that I gave to the players I've dropped things in there that later they encounter and they're like oh, wait a second, and they need to on the spot sort of decide what they know and what they want to go with. The Loro thing, will set that aside. You know, in that campaign write-up, there was something about these bronze-coned helmed spearmen, called the Ulstoi, I've mentioned earlier, when they first encountered an Olstoy, they were like, you know, of course it was the paladin who has a, he just has an ability to remember kind of bits and pieces, but the note-taking wizard, she was like, wait, wait a second. I know about this bronze helmed warrior. And she does a control F or whatever, you know, and finds the piece. And then the paladin's like, yeah, wait a second. We didn't, we meet somebody who spoke about them. And this lone Olstoy warrior is the spearman of a, of a priest. And so, you know, you kind of seed, it's, it's interesting if you're able to seed things either in the intro info, you give the players or seed things along the way in the sessions and then introduce that, you know, the seeds grow and you get a chance to create, yeah. have a complication. So, um, here, I'll give you an example. Not only did I run, um, for chapter one, keep on the borderlands. Um, I also for chapter three used before the lost city. Are you familiar with the purple cover, The Lost City?
0: I, I've seen it, but I've never played any, any of
1: it. Yeah. So there is a room in there where there's supposed to be this, you know, evil power or whatever. Well, I, I just, I was like, okay, so how cool can I go with with this demon power? So I created a, a, a demon that is called Horfrost, And Horfrost is the embodiment of winter. So when they they are in the dungeon tunnel, it's kind of getting chilly. And then they see ice crystals on the stone walls. Wow, this is weird. This, I mean, we, you know, it's not cold, this cold in the dungeon. They go around the corner and there's actual ice and icicles leading up to a door. And the rogue is like, I'll check it out. And the rogue, you know, like sneaking up on a demon is tough. They have very, he rolled a 20 on his stone. That's like, this is perfect. We're going to let him just go wherever he wants in the room. And so kind of like a, 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 you know, like a Bilbo hiding from smog. He gets into the room and he's, <laughs> and there's literally a frozen solid unicorn in this room. And there's this being at the end of this table sitting there and he's got like a king and queen frozen in place forever like this at a meal. And he's, and this, and the demon is just, he's just sitting there. Well, my storyline was hoarfrost. This is, he hangs out here. And then once it's time for winter, he, he can greater teleport. He goes into the Midlands and he creates winter. Basically, wherever he goes, it's winter. So hoarfrost is the beginning of winter. So when this rogue rolled a 20 for stealth, it's interesting. That created a conflict for the players because they were like, for a second there, they thought, you know what? We could bum rush this guy and kill him. And then one of the players was like, what happens if we get rid of winter?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another player was
1: like, "Whoa, that's crazy." And I just sat back as a DM behind the screen. I'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, their mind, especially the wizard cuz her mind moves at a million miles an She's like, "Wait a second, if we get rid of winter, you can't have there's no hibernation. It's going to throw everything <laughs> off." Uh, you know, system. and then and they and they left <laughs> him. They left the, they didn't they didn't touch him. Now that's a super there's a paladin in the group and the paladin's like I'm looking to smite something here and it's yeah, that guy. Yeah. They kind of didn't think they could take Horfrost on, which is fair. Yeah. And they were afraid of just take of stopping winter from ever happening, right? So yeah. That was a, that's the kind of conflict where I mean, I you like you said, I just shut up. Yeah. Bat it back and forth. It was and, and Horfrost is still there, and I've made references back to that demon before, you know, later on, you know, 20 sessions later, whatever, and they just shake their head at it. They're like, you know, because like, yeah. it's summertime. I, this may sound ridiculous, but I usually go with the current season IRL in real life, with yeah. it being the season in the campaign. I know that sounds just lazy, but that's how I run it, right? So um, yeah. never, it's just easier for me.
0: I've never actually thought about using Seasons as, as an entity. But since since you said that, it's such a good idea. I might have to steal that. Like, that's such a good complication. Take it. That's such a good complication good, to have. Good,
1: good DMs borrow, great DMs steal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: So, well, that was fun. Horror Frost, still out there. <laughs> still
0: out yeah, there. I, I, you know what? It, that, as you're saying it, I can just see, like, when, like I said earlier and like you alluded to, is when the group is talking amongst themselves for minutes at a time, that's how a DM knows. It's like a, that's like a DM's, like, that's when it's fun to be a DM. You can just sit back, and they're just chattering back and forth. Like, what do we do? We don't want to get Sip rid of coffee. Santa <laughs> and winter and all these beautiful things, and the paladin's mm-hmm. like, we, well, I need to kill it. I'm a paladin, so. Um, it's a demon. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So you're, that that, that's the best as a, as a DM. Um, all right, so I do want to ask you this question as we wrap it up. Um we kind of alluded to it earlier, but where do you see yourself with 5, 10, 15 years? I know you said you were playing, but where do you see yourself, uh, maybe macro, micro? Um, where do you see yourself moving on with this game?
1: So, I, if my Saturday group will still have me, I'd love to keep playing with these folks. I have a, I have players from the Netherlands, UK, Scotland, um You know, a a player in New Hampshire, a player in Louisiana. It's an international group. We play Saturday mornings. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm a morning guy, so it's from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time. That works perfectly for my our European friends, and good for the East Coast Central. And you know, there's one of our players is not a morning guy, and he's here in California, and he rolls in 10 minutes late each game. That's fine. No worries, man. You're not a morning guy, but uh, if they'll have me, as I'll keep. These these are great players. I've re- we're, you know, do I have another idea for the next next campaign? Not yet, because we're in the real meat of this one. It's something's going down in session one hundred, and that's going to happen around Christmas this year. So they're in seventy five right now, and they got mm-hmm. twenty five Saturdays to go. I, you know, whether or not one of my players sees this, I don't worry about them. But it's going to go. It's about to go down yeah. at session one hundred. So I have this whole write up. I. I'm setting it up, ramping it up, setting it up. And I just, and I keep winding it tighter and tighter. And then when this thing happens, it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, and then we're going to play for another 50. They want to go to 150, maybe more. I sent them an anonymous survey and six out of the eight players were like, we'll go, we'll go past, you know, chapter 12, which I have planned. So, okay, we'll keep going. That's cool. Um, but intent in ten, in, a, in five years, I think I will make a plug for the local meetup group we have at yeah, Guildhouse sure. in San Jose. Good. Yeah, uh, Solomon, the guy who organized that—I mean, that was genius. He's like, you know, COVID—we're yeah, we still have to be careful, but let's get together. And there's so many gamers in. Silicon Valley, and he really came up with a great idea. There's probably like, I don't know, 60, 70 people in the Discord server now. We get a bunch every Thursday, a bunch every Sunday. I only go Sundays, but um, I think I'll probably still be doing that in five years as well, because I've always enjoyed going to conventions, and I will go to Gen Con in the future at some point, so that's in the next five to ten year plan. I will say that dropping in once a month on a Sunday to run a one-shot for this group at Guildhouse, and I mean... If there's twelve people there, I just raise my hand and say, as we're all standing around with beers, I said, "Hey, anybody want to play a one shot? I'll get five people. We'll go off to another table, and we'll just play." It's, that's awesome. you know, that I see myself doing that um, from now on if if we keep meeting as a meetup group. And then I'll always have my Roll Twenty online group, uh, international group. Yeah, that's I'll still be playing for sure.
0: <clears throat> where can where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Discord, you say? Um... Or where can they play that sure. game with you. I mean you're a forever DM with all this knowledge. I mean if there's yeah, something you yeah. play,
1: I'll, I'll play a game for sure. Oh, I appreciate that. That's that's great. Um yeah, it's kind kind words, kind thoughts. Uh yeah, so I on Twitter I am at O S K Peter. Um so at O S K P-E-T-E-R, right? You can find me on Twitter there. Um my Discord handle is the Hunter pound or number symbol four, five, four, seven. So the hunter number symbol four, five, four, seven. So that's another way to find me. So either Twitter or discord, happy to talk about D and D other role playing games. I'm a big proponent of the other, you know, systems that are out there. Um, Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and since you said you'd, you'd play one of my games, let I have a one shot ready to go. Let's do it. If you can get,
0: I can get, I can get, yeah, yeah.
1: For, sure. for if you can get three or four others, um, I, I'll take up to six players for this one shot. I ran it online um, uh, Saturday, and that it was it was super fun. And you know what? It was a play test. Then I asked everybody for feedback after the session. I said what could be better, what was smooth as a one shot, what didn't work, and I received a lot of good feedback. And I want to run it again because I'm gonna, eventually going to run it as a one shot in person at the Guildhouse on a Sunday coming up in okay. late July. Yeah. But yeah, let's stay in touch, man. And I'll um, if you can get you know five others to come together, we'll play. It'll be on Roll Twenty Plus Discord, and yep. it's a space opera. It's a space opera. Um, okay. you're know, you're on a ship. It's it's in warp currently, and you're at an art show. That's the start.
0: That's perfect. That's awesome. I actually never played um, was it Spelljammer? I never played Spelljammer. Um,
1: Spelljammer or Starfinder or that- Traveller. Um, all of those systems. There's you know. Of a couple different Star Wars systems. Out you know there, what's
0: yeah. you know what's weird about the, Tra- the Traveler is I never heard about the Traveler ever, um, but we have a work D and D campaign that we're running right now. That's the one I'm I'm DMing, and someone, one of my friends I've known for a long time, or a work associate, he's like, Hey, have you ever played the game The Traveler? And I was like, No, I haven't. And he's like, Oh yeah, my um, my pretty much my uncle, my best friend's dad invented it. And I was like, Oh really? And then now you're the third person to mention The Traveler to me since that's happened um so he's like yeah my, my, yeah so it
1: must be pretty good it's back yeah it's it's from the 80s I, you know i would say i run roll 20 future as the rule set light a very light version you know fast and fun um but a lot of the traveler campaign background from the 80s and late 80s it's pretty solid so i weave in you know like the whole borrowed thing i weave in warhammer 40k i weave in dune and then i mash it together and put it into the kind of a traveler universe called spinward marches but um yeah would love to i'd love to run a one shot for you guys um you know get together awesome so this has been super fun i really appreciate the time and a chance to speak about my favorite hobby i've been at it a long time and any chance i can pass on tips i'm happy to
0: oh you know and we're gonna have to talk again because um, I didn't get as much out of you as I felt like I should have for the, for the viewers out there because I get a lot of people who ask me about being a DM and unfortunately mm-hmm. I have my own reserves and what I don't, I feel like it is about for me um, but it's only a DM for 17 sessions but if I can get someone to talk or a group of people to talk to someone who's been doing it for you know sure. first edition, second edition, 3.5 Pathfinder, 4E even though nobody talks about 4E and probably never will and 5E Someone who's got all that knowledge of where it came from in the beginning to now, they can really jump the gaps in knowledge of what, you know, let's try this. Well, they tried that in one first edition. It didn't work out. This might be better. You know, whatever the case is. So we're going to have to do this again because I feel like there's more to be said.
1: Happy to. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, get me on the schedule. I I know you have other uh, guests, and they have great tips uh, for the viewers as well. And so I'm happy to come in. Um, later on in the summer. Maybe uh, we could do late late summer, early fall for another Yeah, we
0: could 100% one. do that. Yeah, we should, we should schedule that. Um, until then, I'm going right. to hold you to that one shot. I'll get, get some friends. We'll play one. Oh. We'll schedule that as well. Um, Great. Maybe even stream it. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, have a good time. <laughs> um, otherwise, for all of you watching, uh, I'm Steve, a.k.a. Record with Roleplaying Degenerates. And I'm here with Peter, uh, and I just want to say thank you again. And um, For all those out there, Uh, who want to play a game find peter um or like we were talking about earlier just go find a game like there's plenty of games out there and just play the game because more people playing D&D is best for all of us so um yeah we'll see you next time guys